0: Well, good morning again. It is good to be together. You'd think a year in, I'd be figured out how to wear glasses and a microphone and a mask at the same time, but clunky as ever. So one year, if you haven't heard yet, (laughs) we've been around for a year. And a year ago, we gathered for our first public service. Uh, Many of you know there was a lot more that went into the process of launching this church, uh, monthly gatherings. We started with community groups, a lot of vision nights, a lot of things happening. But one year ago, we gathered for our first public service of Heritage Grace Church. And the passage that I preached on, some of you may remember, was the next one that came in the book of Acts. Most of the time here, we just preach through books of the Bible. And so Uh, We just took what came next uh, when we got to our launch Sunday on September 20th, 2020. Now, that passage that we landed on in the book of Acts, you may again or may not remember, was Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, arguably one of the more troubling passages in all of the New Testament. It was a bit of a strange passage to preach on a launch Sunday. I remember being divided, though, going into that Sunday, thinking in one part, you know, I've committed to just preach, you know, what comes next, you know, when comes next. And that, you know, hey, that's where we landed, that's what I'm going to preach. And maybe there was some pride involved, but I just thought, you know, on principle, if no one's else's principle, my principle, I need to just keep trucking. My mind was split, though, because the other part of my mind thought, you know, I'm going to look back, I don't know how many years from now, and be like, well, that was just one of the many dumb things I did as a new pastor Preaching Acts 5 on a launch Sunday. But God's providence is so good. The big idea from that sermon one year ago was this unity is essential within a church, and God takes seriously sin that threatens that unity. In God's providence, that is the message that we needed going into this past year. And by God's grace, He answered that prayer. I've lost track over the last year how many times it seems like the right passage lands on the right day. And I love hearing those stories. It's such an encouragement to me when you share that it almost seemed planned that we hit, you know, that passage on that day. I want to be clear. Administration and planning is not my gift. It's nothing I'm doing. But God's providence is so much better than my planning. And so today... Feels like another one of those days. As Alex alluded to, we are in uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, and we are considering Paul's prayer, the first of his prayers in the book of Ephesians uh, for the church in Ephesus. And it feels particularly timely. Again, this is just where we landed. We went through the book of Acts. Then we said, oh, let's do 10 Psalms in the summer, and then let's start Ephesians, and here we are. And uh, if you, again, with my administrative organizational gifting or lack thereof, I had kind of not remembered that we had a one-year anniversary or birthday coming up until just a few weeks ago, and so uh, there certainly was no planning to land on this passage on this day. But it feels particularly timely, because it's in these moments that we can think kind of nostalgically. We can look back on this past year and praise God. We can have a year, uh, look back, and we can have a day of thanksgiving, thinking, Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And then we also can have a moment where we're thinking forward and we're anticipating, hopeful, what God is going to do through this church, prayerfully driven by that prayer of what God will do through this church. And if uh, your Bibles, they may have different titles here, but my Bible for this section, which is not part of the original passage, but I think it's just helpful. uh, This section that we're going through today is called Thanksgiving in Prayer. And so this morning on our one-year birthday, one-year anniversary, we can look back with thanksgiving and we can look forward with prayer. Now Paul starts Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 with three words that I think are important for us to remember as we go through this passage. The three words are, for this reason, in verse 15, for this reason. Now what reason? Well, what we looked at last week. If you missed that sermon, it's on Spotify or However you like to listen to podcasts, you can listen to it. Uh, before this reason, well, what reason? Again, what we looked at last week, and that was God's miraculous working out of saving his people to review. Before the foundations of the world, he predestined us for adoption. Out of the muck and mire of our lives, he called a people to himself. And so we talked last week about the beautiful mystery that that is. that it's okay to acknowledge that it's a mystery, but that wonder should drive us to worship. But verse 11, Ephesians 1, 11, paints a helpful picture for us as we lead into our passage this morning. Verse 11 says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We've obtained an inheritance. That adoption that we saw in verse five and that redemption and forgiveness that Dan reminded us this morning in our scriptural assurance of forgiveness that we saw in verse seven, that's our hope. That is our inheritance. Our heritage as Christians is God's amazing grace. And so buckle up if you haven't seen this coming. Heritage Grace Church, we have a heritage of grace. You like that? I like that. We have a heritage of grace. And this heritage of grace is the starting point that Paul uses to launch into this prayer for the church in Ephesus for this reason. This prayer, uh, just like last uh, week, was one long sentence in Greek, this is another long sentence. And it's actually even a longer sentence in English here than we had last week. So it's a bit of a run-on one, but that's okay. Let's hear God's word, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of You may have noticed as we worked through uh, that section that verse 18 uh, had similar language to what we saw in that inheritance in verse 11. Uh, Verse 18, the second half, says, that You may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this glorious inheritance has and can be read in two ways, at least two ways. Uh, The first one is the same as we saw just come a few verses earlier, right? That we have a heritage of grace in the gospel. That's obviously not wrong. We see that, again, only a few verses earlier, and it can actually be read that way if we look at the grammar. But most scholars agree that this is something related but different. That this inheritance that's mentioned in verse 18 is actually God's inheritance of his people, So just like God has called a a people his inheritance throughout the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, so does he do that today by way of the New Covenant. He calls a people to himself. He calls them his people, his children, just as we looked at last week. By saving them, we are his inheritance. We are his heritage. And So we put all that together to get our big idea this morning. Our big idea is this. Looking all through Ephesians chapter 1. Because of the gospel, we have a heritage of grace and we are a heritage of grace. Because of the gospel, we have a heritage of grace and we are a heritage of grace. Now what does this mean? I think Paul unpacks it well in his prayer. This truth that we have a heritage of grace and we are a heritage of grace... Is something that he wants the church in Ephesus to believe, to know, to trust, and to live. And so those will be our four lessons that we work through this morning. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but Heritage Grace Church, we have a heritage of grace, and we are a heritage of grace. And I pray that we would believe it, know it, trust it, and live it as a church. So first, we need to believe it we look at the beginning of our passage, Paul spends, uh, has actually spent in his life a lot of time in Ephesus. This church is growing all throughout Asia, and at the time that he's writing this letter, Paul's imprisoned in Rome. He's under house arrest, he's chained to a soldier, but we know that he was allowed visitors. And so news somehow made it back to Paul that the Ephesian church was doing well. That they were growing, not only in numbers, likely numbers, but we also see in faith and love. Verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because of their salvation, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul hears about their faith in Jesus and their love for one another, and it drives him to pray. Again, he leads off with this, for this reason, what came before, and he's driven to thank God for the electing, adopting, predestining, redeeming, forgiving love that God has shown his people in this heritage of grace. And this is the good news of the gospel. Paul will go on to unpack it deeply, and just next week, Lord willing, we'll be going through one of my favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 2 where we see him unpack it using really powerful language, where he talks about you, me, humanity, how we were dead in our sin. We've rebelled against God and decided to go our own way. We've rejected and ignored him in the world that he created. And this puts a chasm between us, sinful people, and him, a holy, perfect God. And so we're dead in our sin. We're facing just punishment for our rebellion, for our sin, but this heritage of grace that we can know is that God is merciful. It's just who he is. That's what we looked at last week. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. How did he do that? He sent his only son into the world to live a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Christ came humble as a baby, but never sinned, He never sinned, yet paid the penalty for our sin. He died the death that you and I deserve as a ransom for all. He did this as God in the flesh to redeem humanity, to bear the weight of our sin on the cross. But he would rise from the dead, defeating death on the third day. We'll see Paul grounds his argument in Christ's resurrection later here. But we see that that satisfies God's just wrath, and he makes a way for us to be made right with God, and that by turning from our sin and trusting in him, trusting in Christ alone, we can be credited with his righteousness, and we can be made right with God. And so this is what Paul is thanking God for. This is why Paul is driven to thanksgiving. The church in Ephesus, they believe it. They know that their righteousness is not enough and so they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now it's easy to fall into a trap of thinking, I just can't, you know, climb the hill of the faith that's required here. What he's celebrating in the, the church in Ephesus, you know, Aaron, you don't know my heart. I can't do that. Well, I stumbled upon this quote about faith that I found really encouraging by a man named Alec Matier. He said this, faith is leaning Heavily upon Christ, not labor, but cessation of labor, not doing but ceasing to do, simply leaning the whole weight of our needs upon him and finding in him acceptance before the presence of God and a righteousness which could never be ours by our own works. And so if you don't know this hope, if you don't know the hope that we can have in Christ. This offer is open for you this morning. If you are not a Christian here, I am so glad that you are here. And I want to encourage you to just keep digging into this truth. Talk to somebody after the service. Talk to the person who invited you out. Dig into this truth. The world throws a lot of messages our way of supposed good news. But I know you're not naive enough to think that that really is good news. What I'm telling you this morning really is good news. The burden that we carry, the burden of our sin, is a burden that we can't bear on our own. And we can't get rid of it on our own. And I know that sounds like bad news, and apart from Christ, it is. But the good news is that Jesus has borne the burden and made a way for that chasm between us and God to be bridged. The good news, too, is it's more than simply being made right with God. It's more than that. Paul uses the the language of adoption earlier in chapter 1. J.I. Packer writes this, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is greater You are here and you're in Christ. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the king. And we are brothers and sisters. That is good news. And this is the faith that Paul praises God for. We see that this faith that they have changes the way that they live. They love one another. If we have no love, do we really believe the message? 1 Corinthians 13, very Popular chapter of the Bible, but the first few verses say this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We love because he first loved us. Not for our credit or our clout, but I wonder what people would say about our churches. If uh, word spread about what we were doing at Heritage Grace or broadly the church in Kitchener-Waterloo, and the report got to somebody, what would they say? Would they write back praising God and thanking God for our faith, and our love for one another? Or would it be something different? The Bible gives us a lot of clarity here on how we are to live as Christians. The Bible is chocked full of one another commands. You may be familiar. Love one another. Encourage one another. Bear with one another. Here at HGC, we have a document where we've compiled a lot of these one another commands. Maps it out for us. What we've covenanted to as church members, and that's our church covenant. It's how we commit to live out this calling that we've been called to. And if we truly believe what we believe, it should change the way that we live. And this gospel, grace is evidence for us, but it should also be evidence to the watching world. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians 3:10, "Through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we can brainstorm as much as we want banners and Facebook ads, but God has ordained his own billboard and advertising strategy. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Jesus didn't say that the world would know us by our political campaigns or our zealous anger. But he said that they will know that we are his disciples by our love. Our love for one another. And so as we look back on this past year and we look forward, we can follow Paul's example too. It's a good reminder for us. Paul is continually praying for those in Ephesus that he knows and those that he doesn't know. So part of that church covenant that we have is to pray for one another. Members, pray for one another by name. Go through your directory. The the little directories we print off, sure, they have some phone numbers, and that's kind of a secondary. If you need to get a hold of each other, you can do that. But the primary purpose of that document is to look at each other's faces. There's lots of white space. Fill in how you can be praying for them and pray for one another. Tuck it in your Bibles. Make it a part of your routine. It's what we've covenanted to do. And we see Paul's example. This is how we live out what we believe. And don't just stop there. Don't only pray for other members of this church. Pray for other Christians. Pray for other churches. Praise God for the work that's being done. Praise God for their faith and thank God for their love for one another. You know what? In in general, just pray, period. What a disastrous mistake we make when we neglect prayer. And I'm with you. We live in a distracted age with... Sinful minds. Prayer does not always come easy, but what a privilege we have to go to the God of the universe to praise him, to confess our sins to him, to thank him, and to ask of him. And he doesn't just say, oh, here comes Aaron again. No. He desires to hear our prayers, and he delights to answer them. And so if we really believe these truths, if we really believe that we have this heritage of grace, we should be driven to prayer. Make it a priority in your own life. Make it a priority in your homes. Make it a priority with your friends. Make it not weird to ask a friend to pray with you, to to get together just for the purpose of praying. Those that you're in discipling relationships with, make it a priority. Make it a priority in your community groups prioritize joining us in our Sunday evening prayer services. How crazy is it for us to neglect prayer? But we do. I'm with you. This is not me on a high stage. This is me as a fellow pilgrim. These are convicting statements for me too. But it's important for us to not wave fingers, but to hold up a mirror to say, our love for one another And our prayer lives should tell us something about the state of our hearts. Robert Murray McShane said, What a man is alone and on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Paul celebrates and thanks God for the faith that he sees and the love for the Ephesians. And he models it in verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul doesn't only applaud them for past faithfulness. He prays that they would grow. He brings it into the present. And so we don't just need this news, this heritage of grace for conversion. We need it in our lives. We need to know it deeply. And so we need to believe it. In our second lesson, we need to know it. We need to know it. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. He prays for wisdom. Not just any wisdom, but spirit-empowered wisdom to know God more. Last week, we considered The work of the Spirit in sealing the hearts of believers. But here we see some more of his work. We need the Spirit's illumination to know God and the gospel more. God wants us to know him, and he promises to help. We see examples of this. Jesus on the Emmaus Road, opening the eyes of his followers. God opening up Lydia's heart as we saw through the book of Acts. as She hears the gospel. This is God's work through the power of the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to know him more. Kids, those that have been going through the uh, New City Catechism this past week, this should be ringing bells in your ears. Uh, The question was, how does the Holy Spirit help us? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and he enables us to pray and understand God's word. Charles Spurgeon said this kind of cheeky Spurgeon-ish quote here. He said, apart from the Spirit, it would be easier to convince a tiger to become a vegetarian than to simply convince someone to believe the gospel. This isn't because the gospel is hard to believe, but because saving faith is beyond us. It's not a matter of convincing. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us and others of our sin, and work in our hearts to know and trust Jesus for salvation. And the good news is that this is his work. The faith, love, and prayer that if you're like me, you feel that weight on your shoulders. Especially as we consider that first section. Right? It's convicting. But the good news is that it's a gift that God promises to help us with. We just need to come humbly as children. We need to know God more. And he gives us his spirit to help us to enlighten our hearts, to know this hope that we can have in him. That we would comprehend the riches of not only having a heritage of grace, but being a heritage of grace. D.A. Carson diagnoses it well. He says, what is the greatest need of the church today? The one thing we need most urgently is a deeper knowledge of God. We need to know God better. So it's not as just some religious tick box, but we need to know God more through reading his word. If you're like me, you can be guilty of waiting on a word from the Lord. We should pray for the Spirit's illumination and look to the word he's already given us. We should pray for this for us, and we should pray for this for others. Life is hard enough. We don't need to go blindfolded through life not knowing God through his word. I want to be clear, there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. By knowing God, we get to know a lot about God, but we can't skip over this, no matter how elementary it feels. John chapter 5. 39 through 40, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, they know a lot about God, but they miss Christ. Let's not make that same mistake. And this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He thanks God that they believe, and he asks God to help them to know it more. Pray that God would help you and help one another know him, know his glorious revelation more. We have a heritage of grace. We are a heritage of grace. Believe it, know it. And our third lesson, trust it, trust it. This is not some ethereal, distant, you know, wishful thing. The hope that we have is rooted in God's power. We need to trust it. As head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our knowledge of God and the hope that we have is rooted in the risen Christ. In the Old Testament, often they would talk about God's power. And this can be interactive here. What often was referenced when they were talking about God's power in the Old Testament? What event was referenced often when we think about God's power? The Exodus, exactly, all the time. God who brought us out of Egypt. In the New Testament, when talking about God's power, what's often referenced? The cross and the empty grave. That right? we have a Savior who died and rose again, the resurrection. Romans 8, 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's good news for us. Death is not some minor speed bump to conquer. It's an enemy that we all face. And amazingly, Jesus faced it and won. Jesus was not only risen from the dead by God's power, but he has also been enthroned in the heavenly places. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. That's a big, bold claim. Paul's writing that imprisoned. He's saying, Jesus is king. There's a lot of things in our lives that want to be king. And maybe we're familiar with this language, but that is a bold statement to say, Christ is king. This should inspire deep confidence. Our hope is in Christ alone, who humbled himself to come and die a sinner's death, but now rules and reigns above every name that is named. And Paul just keeps laying the trump cards down. He just keeps one-upping himself as he goes through these verses. He says, he doesn't just reign in this age. He also reigns in the one to come. From everlasting to everlasting, He's God. Now, growing and having this grander vision of God is easier said than done. But again, how do we realize these truths? Well, we need to believe them. We need to know them. We need to get to know God more. We need to behold him. The more you know him, the more you want to know. And the more you know him, the more you grow to trust him. He has been faithful, and he will be faithful. He is all-powerful, and yet he calls us his inheritance. This shall profoundly humble us and encourage us. He is far above not only what we can attain, but what we can imagine. But he also knows us in the mess of our lives and our sin, And he calls us his children. Calvin writes this. The words the apostle uses here are so many thunderclaps and lightnings to beat down and subdue all the pride of man. So be humbled, but be confident. The God who we worship has conquered death. He can be trusted. Trust him because he's given us a heritage of grace. And mind-blowingly, he calls us a heritage of grace. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean? We need to believe. We need to know. We need to trust God. We need to trust the God who has orchestrated all things from everlasting to everlasting. And so we've seen throughout this passage, the lens just keeps getting wider and wider and grander and grander. And we're all the way to this point where Christ is magnified above every name. He is king. But then we see the lens start to tighten in because we consider we need to believe it, we need to know it, we need to trust it. But how exactly do we live it? How do we live out being a heritage of grace? God's answer is through the church. So we believe it, believe it, we need to know it, trust it and now live it. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the head over all things. All things are under his feet, and his body is described as the church. Now, we can dig into a lot of things, and the Bible even has multiple things that we can dig out of what this metaphor of being a body, being Christ's body is. But the first and most obvious connection that I don't want us to graduate from is that if we are the body of Christ, it means that the church matters to God. Ephesians will go out to spell out much of what the mission and purpose of the church is. But here we're reminded of a few powerful truths. First, Christ is the head of the church. We cannot forget that. Even as we look back on this past year, we can't fall into the trap of thinking that we even planted or did anything If we did do anything, it has very little power. God means to do incredible things through the church. But that means that Christ must be the head. We are an imperfect group of people planting a very ordinary church that through God's power and through Christ as the head will do extraordinary things. Again, as Paul describes in chapter 3, It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. And as he says here in chapter 1, what fills all in all. We have been bought with a price. We have been adopted as his children. We have inherited this heritage of grace. Without Christ as the head, the church cannot live up to what God intends. We are his body. Christ directs us. And the church is his fullness. He fills us with his presence. And this is good news. This is why the church is so much more than a social club, so much more than a good habit. Jesus, who has all authority on heaven and on earth, has promised to be with us always. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, sealing us for the last day, and working in our minds and our hearts to know God more. And God intends that we, spirit-indwelt people, would exist together as an assembly, an embassy of his kingdom here on earth, as a church and so hgc christ must be the head of this church god intends to do amazing things through the church and we get to be a part of it we have a heritage of grace we need to believe it we need to dig into god's revealed will to us and pray that his spirit would give us eyes to see and hearts to know him more We need to be devoted to ceaseless prayer. We need to be always giving thanks. And we can trust him who reigns forever. We need to live it, living for him as his body, the church. So, this past year has been a strange year. And honestly, maybe things are going to get better. Maybe they won't. But we know that the king we worship is alive and far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. So there's a little election tomorrow that may change some things in our country, but Jesus is king, and he is the head of this church. Amen? COVID may come back swinging, but Jesus is king, and he is the head of this church. Amen? Don't fall into the trap of thinking that the strangeness of this world, the sin of this world, will dethrone Jesus or kill his body, the church. Jesus said that even the gates of hell won't prevail against his church. And if our schedules or our gatherings or our preferences get messed up like they did this past year, Christ is king and he is the head of this church. He is with us forever, and if we keep believing, knowing, trusting and living for Christ, nothing will prevail against Christ in His church. And so remember this truth, brothers and sisters. God gives us such hope in His word that He will hold us fast and that He will continue to save us to the uttermost. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8:37 through39 says this, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Things in life will continue to trouble us, but we must remember who we believe in who we can know, who we can trust, and who we live for. J.I. Packer writes this as we think about troubling times. He says, if you ask why is this happening, no light may come. But if you ask how am I to glorify God now, there will always be an answer. So Heritage Grace Church, we have a heritage of grace, and we are a heritage of grace. God has been faithful, and he will be faithful. We look back on a past year of some trouble, but we see God's faithfulness. We look ahead to, Lord willing, many more years of fruit. But we know that those years will bring trials and challenges. But we need to keep living out what we've committed to from the beginning. We see it on this banner every week. We exist to glorify God by showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So Heritage Grace Church, believe the gospel, know God, Trust in Christ, our king, and live it out as his body, the church. Let's pray. God, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for the gift of your son. God, help us by your spirit. Give us wisdom to know you more, to comprehend How true that is. That Christ is risen. That death has been defeated. And that we can be made right with you. And you call us to be your children. Father, I I pray that you would help us all to know you more. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know the hope to which we've been called, the riches of your glorious inheritance in us. God, for anyone that does not know you, I pray that you would open their hearts to know you. God, we thank you that you are in the business of saving souls. We thank you for your faithfulness over this past year. God, we wait in eager anticipation for what you are going to do. Keep it on the forefront of our minds that, Christ is head of this church. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of this mission. Thank you that you have called us your children, your disciples, a family on mission for you. Help us to grow in our zeal for you and that that zeal would turn into zeal for your mission. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.